want to discuss a particular text that I was reading yesterday that, I, that pointed me back to Genesis. I was very, very, very shocked at how closely it re resembled the conversation between Satan and Eve. And it happened to be in the book of 1 Kings. So I already have put up the, the text here. Um, the, the text that I was talking about is 1 Kings 13, 7 to 26. And the text that it refers to, that it goes back to, is Genesis 3, 1 to 5. And in this story, we find that this prophet, this prophet of God, this person who hears God's voice or receives God's messages directly, he has done the very same thing that Eve did in the garden. I find it very, very, very remarkable that this happened. So we're going to look first. Let's have a quick word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Most gracious and merciful Father in heaven, you have placed it upon my heart to share this profound wisdom that you have allowed me to discover. Heavenly Father, I ask of you humbly, whatever this story can do in our hearts to help us to get closer to you, whatever this story can show us to make us wise, please allow it to do its work. Please allow your scriptures to transform us, God. Please help us to love you more. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do is I'm going to start with the story itself. And I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to give you a synopsis. I hope I used that word correctly. And then I am going to read the scriptures that point to it directly. Directly. Now, it comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13. And before uh, the text that I have, there was this prophet who went to one of the kings. I believe his name was Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was pretty, he was wicked, even though God had anointed him king and told him, it basically gave him the kingdom. He went and committed idolatry. So because he did that, God had to, give him a judgment so he sent this prophet uh, I don't believe the Bible names the prophet but he sent this prophet to him to actually cry out at the altar <laughs> so this prophet is basically screaming at the altar saying um, in fact I kind of want to go there uh, really quickly please bear with me first Kings 13 and in fact we'll start at verse 1 it's a very interesting story so here this prophet is committing a judgment to this king because this king is wicked. And it starts in 1 Kings 13, verse 1, it starts. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam, that is the wicked king, stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar. So here this prophet is, he comes up and he's not screaming or yelling at someone. He's yelling at the altar. In the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. This is this must be remarkable. You see this guy just walking up and then talking to the altar. And he says, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, 
Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and the men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. So here this is a pretty strong uh, judgment saying that uh, this, this Josiah is going to offer the priests on the altar. So Josiah is going to commit some, some act. And then in verse 3 it says, And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, shall be torn, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when, Jer when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. So here Jeroboam, right, he sees this guy crying against the altar, this prophet of God. He doesn't like what he says, right, because Jeroboam is offering incense to this particular altar, this, this, this false structure that they erected um, in the service of a different god. It was a false idol. And here King Jeroboam sees this, this event taking place. And he's like, grab hold of him, right? Sorry, the hand's like in the camera, but grab hold of him. Right? Try to get it out the way. And as he put forth his hand, it says, And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so he could not pull it again to him. Verse 5, The altar also was rent, it was torn, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given him by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord, thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and because, or sorry, and became as it was before. So he puts forth his hand, right, and it gets stuck, and it must have turned into bones, or it withered away, it must have been old or something, right? So he put forth his hand, it gets stuck. So the same man that he was about to have them kill, or probably put in prison, He's like, hey, 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 uh, I changed my mind. Please kind of just talk to God for me, man. Just get my hand back. Please, please. So the prophet does so. The prophet um, prays to God, right? So this prophet just committed a powerful sign, right? He comes, he's yelling at an altar. All of a sudden, the altar just tears into two, right? And the, all the ashes that were on it fell out. And the king, as he's trying to get people to... Uh, arrest him as his hand goes out his hand gets stuck and it withers away immediately so this prophet came in the power of God but as we read this story later we're gonna find that even though he came in the in the power of God he actually died because he disobeyed God let's continue and the king said unto the man of God Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. So the king is all of a sudden being nice to the guy. But we'll find in verse 8, uh, and let me just read it. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For it was so charged, sorry, for so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. 
So what I perceive here doesn't quite explicitly say it, but God said, don't eat bread, don't stay put. In fact, don't even come the same way you came. Don't even leave the same way you came. So God is probably trying to protect him from something, right? Um, who knows, maybe the king would have invited him in and then he would have poisoned him or something, you know, tried to do it in a, a more covert way. Because remember, as he tried to do it openly, God withered his hand. So maybe he's going to try and do it in a covert way. Nonetheless, the God told him, don't eat, don't drink, and don't go the same way that you came. Go a different route. So probably trying to protect him from something. And then he followed instructions. Verse 10, so he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, verse 11, there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he spake unto the king, them they also told, sorry, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, what way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came to Judah. And he said unto his sons, saddle me an ass. So they saddled him an ass, and he rode thereon and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak and he said unto him are thou the man of God that camest from Judah and he said I am then he said then he said unto him come home with me and eat bread right so let's pause right here so this prophet supposedly <laughs> we'll get to that later finds this man for some reason doesn't tell us why and asks him the same thing kind of Jeroboam asked him. In fact, he didn't ask him. He told him. And then the man of God, let's go in verse 16. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink no water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. So he confirms the direction, the explicit instructions that God gave him. He confirms it. Verse 19, so he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. Oh, my fault for verse 18. So this is the prophet, the old prophet, supposedly saying, He said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thine house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. That's why I say supposedly a prophet. So he just flat out lied to him. Verse 19. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. Verse 20. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet and brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah saying, Thus saith the Lord God, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee. Verse 22, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Excuse me for a second. Okay, so here we have this uh, very interesting turn of events. So this man was lied to, right? And you would say, wait, 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 wait. The prophet was lied to. I mean, give him a break. <laughs> no, um, God 
in fact, used the prophet that lied to him to pronounce the judgment on him. And it came to pass in the later verses. He died and he was buried in someone else's um, sepulcher is just kind of like a grave. He was buried in someone else's grave. So I was reading this story, you know, I was just pondering like, why? Why, 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 why? Not necessarily why did God kill him, but why did he listen? And I just, it, it kind of, it just, it didn't make sense. And then I noticed he confirmed it twice. He confirmed the law, the command that God gave him twice. And it just perplexed me. You know, I'm almost interested, you know, if you guys are on, throw a comment in the box. You know, why do you guys think that um, he listened? Why did he listen to him? Some would say, oh, he was deceived. But we're going to look deeper and we're going to find that, number one, the prophet should have known better. Right? But also, but more deeply, we're going to see that this is the same thing that happened to Eve. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle. Remember that word. I always point out this word, the serpent. We know the serpent is the devil. And that is in Revelation, I believe, chapter 12, maybe verse 9. Um, in fact, let's go there. Revelation 12. Verse 9-ish. Yeah. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. There's no, you, you know, we know now. We know that the serpent um, was cast out. Genesis. Please pause for me for a second. But we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And we're going to examine how Eve deals with the same issue. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Again, now the serpent was more subtle. Subtle. The serpent is not open. The devil is never, never direct. He's not direct. This is why he's so dangerous. Right? He didn't go to Eve in the garden and ask her, Do you want to be evil? He didn't do that. He's very subtle. Remember that Eve knew God. Remember that Eve was perfect before sin, and she was still deceived. The prophet, a man of God, was also deceived. Let's continue. Let's understand the, the components of this story. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God gave us explicit direction and Eve repeated it. She confirmed it with her own mouth. She condemned herself. She condemned herself. But the, okay, so verse four. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. We'll just throw in chapter or verse 6, where it says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. She, she took the fruit of it thereof, and did eat. And God gave also to her, what in the world am I saying? And gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Okay, so we're going to go over how this story connects to the other story. How this story connects to the other story, right? Now let's look. Let us look here. And there's going to be some interesting connections, some parallels between this story. Now, before I even talk about, let's talk about parallels for a second. There's a scripture, I believe it's Ephesians not Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, maybe one chapter, sorry, one nine. Yes, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine says, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Okay, so God in his infinite wisdom He's trying to teach us lessons, right? <laughs> He's trying to teach us here. And sometimes we just don't get it. So the lesson is repeated over and over and over and over again, right? For, you know, I almost imagine every generation gets the same lessons so that none have an excuse, right? No one has an excuse not to understand what God is telling us and teaching us. It's a principle. Things happen. You know, you hear the phrase, history repeats itself, right? These things are going to occur over and over again. So uh, what has God has shown me is that these two stories is just a repetition, right? Now, let's go over it. Let's go over the connections here. And, and as I'm speaking, you know, the first thing I, that comes to mind is both individuals, Eve and this prophet, got a message directly from God, Right? Um, some people say Eve may have gotten it from Adam. Whatever the case, they got the message verbatim, right? So there's no excuse to not, to not listen or obey or understand the message. And the fact that they repeated it just confirms that they understand what the command or instruction was. Notice that there was two times in each story that the person who fell was, um, you could say, asked or persuaded or tempted, right? Now, on both, both stories, Eve, when she was tempted, the first thing that the devil said or the serpent was, did God really say? So he asked the question, did God really say? Right? Did he say? In the first story of the prophet, or sorry, in the first temptation of the prophet, the king Jeroboam just asked him, hey, would you like to come home? Come home with me, right? Just a question, right? Now, the second invitation or the second uh, temptation in both stories turned into an explicit um, refutal of what God said, right? In the first story, in, in, sorry, in uh, the Genesis story, Eve was told, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. God didn't say, God, he's not, he's not, you're not going to die, right? 
God said it, but you're not going to die. So he, he's overturning what God said. He says, in fact, you're going you're gonna to be as gods, right? Now, in the prophet's story, same thing. The prophet said, no, 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 no. God, I'm a prophet too. God told me through an angel that he changed his mind. You, you need to come home and eat with me. He changed his mind. So in both times, in both times, the prophet and Eve received something that was contrary, the contradiction to what God said, right? Now, in each case, the one who failed repeated, we went over this a couple of times, repeated the exact command. Unfortunately, the prophet repeated it twice. So he has even less excuse than Eve. She repeated it once. Now, in both stories, of course, during the fall, Eve, as well as the prophet, decided to trust someone or something over God. Now, let's bring this home. Let's bring this to us as Christians. And hopefully Christians are watching this. <laughs> uh, but who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust God's explicit direct commands or do you trust a man or a woman? Do you trust a man or a woman? Now, I want to point out and both again in both stories there was an explicit contradiction of what God said but we find in the book of Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 it says for I am the Lord I change not right I change not God does not change he's not going to tell you something and they say oh no 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 I changed my mind he's not going to do that in fact the worst is when he tells you and you understand it. You see, once you come to the full understanding of what God expects from you, you have no more excuse. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 26, it says something along the lines of, For if we sin willfully after coming to a knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Right? Now, does that mean if we struggle with sin, I don't think so. I think that means if, if we know exactly what God has expected of us and we go in the other direction purposefully, we have no excuse. In both scenarios, Eve was perfect. She didn't have that tendency to sin. She chose in willful character to listen to the serpent. In the prophet's case, he got explicit instructions from God and he repeated it twice. And he still chose to go home and eat with the man. I mean, he, it must have been a journey too. He could have, you know, at least along the way, say, hold on, you know what? God, God told me not to eat. He told me. There was time for him to, to think about it. But no, he received explicit instructions and he turned his back and went with that old prophet, supposedly. I think he was a false prophet. In both cases, the penalty was death, right? In both cases, the penalty was death. 
So I pose the question again, who do you trust? Do you trust men or do you trust God? God has given us a Bible, a word, an Old Testament and a New Testament. You know, I just want to take a quick pause here and say a lot of individuals in the Christian community say that the Old Testament is no more, it's done away with. Why did God go through the trouble of getting it translated? Why did God go to the, through the trouble of preserving it? It was for the Jews. He could have left it right with the Jews, left it in Hebrew. But no, he went to, through the trouble of um, translating it into English and to other languages. He preserved it. And furthermore, if you look at the New Testament, many, many scriptures in the New Testament is simply a repeating of the Old Testament. It's a simple quote. Prophecies are fulfilled. A lot of things in the New Testament come directly from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is important. God would not have preserved it. If he, if he didn't want to preserve it, in fact, this happened when I was younger. I received a little book called the New Testament. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I started reading the words of Jesus. And I, that's actually what converted me first, reading the New Testament. However, I went and I started to read the Old Testament. Um, but if God didn't want an Old Testament, he could have allowed the New Testament to simply go forward and let the whole Old Testament kind of die away. You know how many... You know how many uh, literary, literary writings come from the time of the Hebrews, the ancient Israelites? There's many of them. Even the Bible itself quotes all these books, but they're lost or they're, or they're, they're no longer considered um, accurate. But God went to, through the time to preserve the Old Testament. Sorry, I'm going on a long tangent here, <laughs> but I just I, I don't understand why. Why do we as Christians believe that the Old Testament is no longer useful. It is useful. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful, right? I can't remember where that comes from. But nonetheless, there's an Old Testament and most Christians understand this particular portion of the Old Testament and it's called the Ten Commandments. That has been taught from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. In fact, I would say in this final generation, I do believe we're in the final one. It seems like we're the only generation that has a problem with the Ten Commandments. When I was growing up, there was no issue. We all understood the Ten Commandments were expected. God has given us his word. He has preserved it. He has protected it throughout the ages and it explicitly gives us instructions on how we should live our life what is the purpose of these ten commandments it is not so that we are under bondage as some people will will say it is that we are we learn how to live in a peaceful way that society can flourish if every single person honored the ten commandments society would flourish society would flourish now, where are we going with this? In the Ten Commandments, we're just going to quickly go over them. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, 
And the Lord God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt. The first thing God says is not, you should do this. The first thing he says is, this is what I have done for you. Remember what I have done for you. I love you. I have saved you. Every Christian, every Christian should have that moment where they can explicitly remember when God took them out of Egypt. Egypt is a symbol in this particular case of slavery. The Israelites were in Egypt and they were enslaved to the Egyptians. Us as New Testament Israelites, we were enslaved to whatever particular sin, um, blindness, or whatever. And somehow God has delivered you. We should remember something in our lives of that nature. The first commandment. How does it go? Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's pretty simple. Put God first. You know, that word gods doesn't stand for... Um, there obviously, there's only one God, right? Only one Godhead. However, there are many different things that we can put first above God. The second commandment is no graven images and not bowing down to them. The third commandment is not saying the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment is keeping a particular day holy. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. The sixth commandment is do not kill. Seventh commandment is don't commit adultery. Eighth commandment is don't steal. Ninth is don't lie. And the tenth is do not covet or do not uh, desire something that doesn't belong to you. All these commandments, there's not one of these commandments that if you did them, it would hurt you. All of them is to help you, right? So, the commandments... We're talking about this. God gave explicit commandments to his people. However, just like in the story of the old prophet and the story of Eve, of Adam and Eve, especially Eve, we see that even though they were given explicit instructions, something or someone changed or tried to uh, contradict those instructions. Okay, now I want to jump over to Matthew 19, 16, because we're going to see something very explicit here. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now, this is an interaction between a rich young man and Jesus Christ. Just for individuals who may think that the New Testament is what we should focus on more. I don't believe there's a more. I believe that. Both of them are equally important. But it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what things shall I do? What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is so interesting. I just caught this. So this rich young ruler or this rich young man is asking how can he earn salvation? Now, I'm surprised because Jesus gives him an answer. He doesn't say you can't earn salvation. Maybe Jesus is understanding what this person needs, right? So in Jesus, in verse 17, Jesus says, And he said unto him, 
why callest thou me good? Why are you calling me good? Do you know that I'm God? That's what he's basically saying. But he says, there is none good but one that is God. So he's trying to show him that you called me good because I'm actually God. But if thou wilt enter into life, so he's saying this, if you're going to get into life, very simple statement, keep the commandments. If you're going to enter into life, keep the commandments. That's all he says. Well, he actually says more, but that's how simple it is. And then he goes on to say, thou shalt not murder, steal, commit adultery. He's probably picking commandments that this particular individual needed the most. So he picks murder, adultery, steal, lie, honor his father and his mother. And of course, um, he didn't even say the covet commandment, but in summary, he says, honor, um, sorry, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he gives them, he gives them, he gives this particular man the commandments that are specifically attributed to how he treats his neighbor. And then he summarizes it in saying, love thy neighbor as thyself. So this man asks, how do I get into heaven? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Okay. Again, we've been given explicit instructions as people of God. You know, and some people may say, you know, even as I'm thinking about this, someone, someone may say, well, that was to an Israelite. Maybe they had to keep the commandments. Okay, well, let's find out what the book of Revelation, the end times book, says about the people of God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And it says in the dragon, we know the dragon to be the devil because that is in Revelation 12, 9. But in Revelation 12, 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. He was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. This is all symbolic language for the church. And it says very, very plainly, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, we see that God's people are given instructions to explicitly keep the commandments. And in this particular sentence, in this particular verse, God's people are attributed with two things, keeping the commandments of God and having the testimony of Jesus Christ. So again, the commandments are important. Now, I know some people may be listening to this, probably already logged off or whatever, and said, I already keep the commandments, kind of like that young ruler. <laughs> um, but do you keep them all? Or do you try to keep them all? You know, let's go over a particular commandment that I think most people don't uh, understand. And that is the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou work and do all thy labor. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God in it. Thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You see, God rested on the seventh day as a way of showing us a couple things. One of those things is that, hey, I created the earth. I created the heavens in six literal days. And on the seventh day, I'm resting so that everyone can see how it's done. 
So you, as my follower, also need to rest so that you can um, follow the pattern that I've given you and so that you can feel refreshed and so that you can spend time focusing on our relationship, God's relationship with man. In fact, Jesus says, for the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning that the Sabbath was created. It wasn't made because God needed a seventh day to create the earth. It was made in particular, in particular for mankind, not for Israelites, but for mankind. It was made for them so that they could do many things, but most important of all, focus on their relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, I have a relationship with Christ. Well, the particular day that was set aside to foster that relationship, many of them ignore. So, where did we start this talk? We had a prophet of God who knew God, who heard God's word explicitly, explicit instructions, and even repeated it, end up being deceived. We had Eve repeat the instructions and end up being deceived. Twice did the devil try. First he tried with doubt, then he tried with explicit contradiction. Are we in a time where the devil is now trying with explicit contradiction to say that the Sabbath and the commandments are not important? No, 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 no. Did God say that we really need to keep the commandments? He didn't say that. In fact, Jesus came to change the commandments. What a bold-faced lie. Why on earth would Jesus, who is God, change his own commandments? So the devil is bold. He is very bold. And his prophets, his false prophets, right? The prophets that are going to the true prophets of God, the true children of God, and telling them that God didn't say that are confusing people. They're tricking people. They're deceiving people. Now, in the story, twice both penalties were death. I believe the penalty, if we continue to disobey God, continue to trample on His commandments, is death, just like the stories. Now, I don't say this to scare anyone. I say this to enlighten and encourage people, right? Because once you are given truth, what does Jesus say the truth will do? It will set you free. The truth will set you free. So I'm trying to set people free from the bondage, right? Keep the commandments. If Let's say you weren't keeping the commandments. Let's say you didn't understand the Sabbath. It is a very, very simple process to get reconciled unto God. I believe 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all we need to do is confess. That's, that's it. We go to God and we say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have disobeyed your commandments. I'm sorry that you, you gave us these in explicit instructions and I have allowed uh, a false prophet to deceive me. I'm sorry. God. Please forgive me. That's all, we, that's all he wants. And then he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus will do the work. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all we have to do is be baptized 
or sorry, I should say repent and be baptized. And if you're already baptized, just continue to repent. Uh, let's have a closing word of prayer. Most gracious and merciful Father, thank you for putting uh, that word in my mouth that I may share the truth that you have given to me, God. I just ask humbly, Lord God, I'm but a weak, feeble man. I, I even can't even read a verse sometimes without messing up, God. But I ask that you allow that feeble attempt to teach people, to give them truth that will set them free, that you allow it to be used by the Holy Spirit to help people to see the error of their ways and the error of the world around them. Please convict them in their hearts that they may repent to you, God, and turn to you and be blessed as you have blessed me after I have repented and turned to you, God. I love you, and I pray that you help all of us to love you better. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you have any questions, guys, just send me a message, send me a comment. I'm always available. Well, I'm not always available, but I'm always willing to respond and willing to talk through these things with you all. I love you, and I hope you all are blessed. Have a good day.